Did you know Bold Commerce has some of the best apps to increase the size of almost all your orders? Maybe you're looking to run store-wide sales with countdown timers. Boom! Bold Discounts will run your scheduled promos with just a few clicks, no coupon codes required. Or maybe you're looking to maximize average order value. You could count on Bold Upsell, Bold Motivator, or Bold Bundles. With Bold Upsell, you can offer product upgrades, cross-sales, or complimentary products as free gifts. With Bold Bundles, you could boost average order value by bundling a few products or an entire collection so that your customers can mix and match items to get a discount. Now, hey, when was the last time you made an online purchase and saw a message like, spend 15 more dollars for free shipping? With Bold Motivator, you could do that same thing and more. Offer free shipping, free product, or even a percentage off the entire order. Pick and choose which apps are best for you, or use them all to boost conversion at an average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this year. To get this special offer, go to boldcommerce.com slash Kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash K-U-R-T. and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Tech nasty. And today I have quite the guest with a lot of experience. And he told me that he believes the entrepreneurial game happens one play at a time. Persistence beats resistance. It's a journey of learning followed by action. Oh, there's like a lot of platitudes here. If you do this enough and you never give up, you'll make it happen. Okay, I actually agree with that. I do. There is... Uh, few things that you can't accomplish just by plugging it away at it. Because think about this, where you spend your time and energy is where you are going to become proficient. And business and the associated skills is just a, a skill set, a tool set. And so you can, uh, I, I thoroughly believe that you could just brute force your way to success. But certainly you could take shortcuts. And hindsight being 2020 ah, is fairly easy once you've been through it and our guest today has been in the game since 2004. And so he's got a lot of experience, um, more than myself, and he's going to talk us through like, okay, here are the things that I really think make the difference. And so today we are talking to Andy Humphrey, who sells sprinkler parts. Okay, that doesn't sound like the most exciting thing, uh, but listen to this. In 2004, he turned $108 into $10,000 profit in six months selling Christmas lights, then later appeared on Shark Tank, and now uh, selling millions through sprinklersupplystore.com. Andy Humphrey, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you, Kurt. Happy to be here. I kind of feel like I was thinking about this morning, you know, that feeling when you finally landed on page one or rank one <laughs> on Google. That's how I feel right now. It's like I have made it. The big time, the unofficial Shopify podcast. I hope so. And always, you know, it's funny. People say that. Lately, I've been hearing that. Like, you know, the, the gentleman from Chris Mead from CrossNet had, had mentioned it. Um, and uh, Braxton, Braxley Bands, Braxton Manley had said a similar thing. And I am utterly embarrassed every single time. Right. Truly. I'm like, <laughs> what? You, I like I don't believe anybody. I think they're just blowing smoke. I'm shocked that you know, anyone we're on almost episode 400. I'm like, people listen to this. I can't believe it. Well, I that's keep doing what happens it. when you never give up and you keep doing I just it keep going. over and over. 
Because, yeah, the the first episodes, of course, nobody listened to. And when I go back and listen to them, I'm like, oh, my God, how did I make it this far? Yeah. Persistence <laughs> beats resistance. You know, and plus, like, when you start, you don't know what you're doing. And then you figure it out. But the only way to figure it out is to try it and screw up repeatedly. Right. Isn't that the benefit when you don't know what you're doing? Because you have no preconceived notions. You just get in there, get into the sandbox and start playing around. See what happens. There is there is freedom in that ignorance and embracing it. Um, the certainly experience is the best teacher, but it, sometimes I wonder, like if I knew then what I know now and knowing like how much work was about to begin, would I've been able to get into it? Right. And, you know, certainly I hope I would, but I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. I think sometimes if you think there's going to be too much work, you might not. It's that it's the entrepreneur's optimistic mindset that they think they can do it overnight and they keep thinking they can do it overnight. And you just have to keep thinking that forever. <laughs> yes. And then you look back and you go, oh, you know, when I look back, I'm like, I think about it like, all right, it took me five years to figure out what I was supposed to do and then five years to do it. And now I'm like, okay, now I, I always feel like every six months, I feel like I just figured out what I'm doing for ten, over 10 years now. This has been happening. Right. Over and over and over. Gotta love it. And so as long, you know, I, I said like, oh, the early episodes embarrass me. That's a good thing. Like if you're not embarrassed by your, you and your work from years prior, that means you didn't get better. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not a good look either. So I guess it's suppose you, your goal should be to embarrass your future self. Right. Hmm. You know, stop thinking about it. Start doing it. Get out of your head and get into the world. So speaking of doing the work, you started doing the work, it sounds like, in, in 2004. Right? Yeah, because I didn't know any better, you know, really. And I just wanted to be challenged mentally. You know, when you work a day job, sometimes you just do, you just do the thing. But you're thinking about the, the side future. hustle. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the future and there's this internet thing happening. And, you know, I just started, like I said, playing in the sandbox, experimenting. Then came across some, you know, from a product perspective, something that was innovative that the manufacturer said was not available in brick and mortar hardware stores, like, you know, big box, blue, orange, red hardware stores. <laughs> So then the, in my mind, the blue and white one is my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, I'm like, well, if it's not available in these box stores and it's supposed to be air quote better, maybe there's an opportunity online for this. And so what was it? What was this thing? Yeah. They, these were Christmas lights that were supposed to be, and they actually were like twice as bright. This is pre LED. They had little magnifying glasses on the end of them. And they were sold direct to contractors, right? Lighting professionals installing holiday lights for their business. So that was an advantage that the manufacturer wanted to give to the installer so they could sell a product that was better than the consumer could then at that time buy in, you know, a brick and mortar store. You know, it's funny. I actually, to this day, or even this was 2004, uh, by 2019, I think I was buying commercial Christmas lights online from like direct from the manufacturer right. cost the same as regular Christmas lights. And they had like weather pack connectors. I don't know if they're brighter. They look good. My house looks yeah, nice. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That was right on the right when manufacturers started to go direct to consumer. Man, 2004, the phrase direct to consumer really didn't exist yet. No, it didn't. We just call it like B to C and that was just all encompassing. Yeah. And you know what's um, kind of crazy about 2004? And I, and I think people could relate to this today 
is that I thought I had missed e-commerce because I was just starting. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, imagine if I had started in 2001 or 2000. I thought I'd missed it. Yeah, the best time to start is always is today. Exactly. Like you can't go back and start yesterday. Start now. And that's true of all kinds. Anything that you're like, well, I wish I'd started sooner. If you're having that feeling, it means like, well, you should probably get in now because it's still got momentum. Mm -hmm. If you didn't feel like you hadn't gotten in or like you're like, oh, I should have gotten in early. If you don't have that feeling, uh, you know, maybe maybe there's nothing there yet. It's like that. That FOMO tells you there's something there sometimes. Yeah, totally. I like that idea. You know, Man, game, 2004. It changes. That's pre-Shopify. So, you know, the game is not the same in 2004 as it was in 2008, as it was in 2012 and in 2021. There are definitely similarities but the game's changing. The ball's always moving. The puck is going somewhere else. So there's always an opportunity to enter a market. Certainly. And so what was the thing that was it that made you say like, all right, I'm going to get into e-commerce. What, how did you know? What was the thing that made you say like this? I should do this. I know it's 2004, but I'm. Well, it was I, mostly because I didn't need any capital. So I started, you could call it drop shipping. But it was the fact that I, ha I was a, an account manager at a wholesale irrigation distributor. So this was the fall. We were gearing up for the holiday season when we sell Christmas lights oh. to contractors. I was going to say, like landscapers, that's if you live in. Yeah, I live in the Midwest. Um, and so in the Midwest, like what do landscapers do in the winter? Well, they they'll do your driveway. And I, I guess they put up Christmas lights. Yeah, absolutely. And so I had access to these lights. And so I just knew I needed to figure out how to sell them online. And I did. And I sold them. And then I would wake up in the morning and have orders. I would already have the money too. That was magical. I wake up and there's money. You know, it's not quite in my account, but it's been <laughs> paid for. <laughs> and then I would go to work, buy the lights wholesale, stop at Staples on the way home and ship them out. And I immediately had, you know, a cash flow positive hustle. Hmm. So it was drop so shipping, it, but I was the drop shipper because I was, you know, buying the product, sourcing it, and then stopping on the way home to ship it out. But I didn't need any inventory. I didn't need any capital, any funding. It was literally, as long as I can sell this online, I'll get the money, buy the product, ship it out. And what that business was uh, immediately successful as a side hustle. Certainly, like the early version was not going to make you financially independent. But you're like, this is some non trivial cash here. In six months, you did 10 grand in profit. Yeah. All right. And this is like, like, who wouldn't take that? The amount that I was learning at that time was, you know, you could, I couldn't learn this anywhere else. Even to this day, I don't think you could go to a university or college and learn all the e-commerce skills, right? It's still something that you learn really by doing or on the job or you're learning for, from somebody else. And so the skill set, like the craft, you know, I kind of think of e-commerce as a craft. So this was enabling me, powering me, to learn the craft. And then it was just going to be up to me to figure out what to do with that skill set. And so what happened to this Christmas light business? Well, actually 2004, what the heck platform? How did yeah. you run such <laughs> a software? It was a two platform story. First one, because I had no money was OS commerce. Okay. Right. So the downside of OS commerce is I had to read in forums and copy code and, and really get a little bit code dirty, you know, get in there and figure stuff out. <laughs> the good news is I found a sort of the, what you might call Shopify before Shopify, which was Volusion. Oh, Volusion. So I Ooh. was an early Volusion customer and I still remember they were using Got Vmail for their phone system. <laughs> which I think is still around. Yeah, absolutely. I think it became Grasshopper. I used it. Um, 
you know, so I was an early Volusion customer because they offered an interface that required no code. You know, they, it was truly sort of a plug and play out of the box e-commerce solution. And what happened to this uh, Christmas light? Well, let's store? just call it what it is. You know, I'm embarrassed, but you said it's okay to be embarrassed. <laughs> yes. That means we're learning. <laughs> that means we're learning. And it was called supertwinkle.com. Super Twinkle. Super Twinkle. So what happened with Super Twinkle is the manufacturer of those lights invented a Christmas tree storage bag that was called the Tree Keeper Bag. And I was successfully selling their Christmas lights online. And they said, hey, Andy, why don't you try to sell this Christmas bag, Christmas tree bag that we just created? So sure enough, I was able to sell their Christmas tree storage bag. And then I realized that there, if you pay attention to numbers, financial numbers, you'll quickly realize that you'd rather sell a $100 average cart at a 50% profit than a $30 average cart at a 35% margin. So I immediately just made the, the pivot, the shifts that I'm not selling Christmas lights anymore. I'm going to go all into these Christmas tree storage bags. Okay. So that was kind of the, that was kind of the phase two of and the journey, is- the pivot, you know, over to Christmas tree storage bags. I still run that company. It's called treekeeperbag.com. Oh, so it's, you said, you mentioned the treekeeper bag and this is like, this is the spinoff of the, the super twinkle.com, which I looked the domains available, but doesn't go anywhere. It's not registered. Um, that became treekeeperbag.com, which I see that that site now. And this is for people who have this looks like it's it's now on Shopify. Yep. Uh, I see located in, in Traverse City, Michigan, lovely place. We spent last Christmas there. And um, this is for people with fake Christmas trees, yeah. faux trees mm-hmm. to store them in the basement. Reeves, which this actually seems like a great product. Garlands, a- lights, ornaments, really everything, uh, Christmas storage. One of my Christmas tree bags was lovingly dismantled by our house rabbit, Mary Hoppins. Oh, very she, nice. It had like some rubber, some deli- rubber is delicious. And so she like carefully chewed apart the rubber. And so the Christmas tree peg, when we went to pick it up, was like the bottom was just carefully. It's like someone did it with scissors. She's very precise. <laughs> like that's, that's great. Thank you for that rabbit. Yeah, thank you for that The story. Christmas tree was unharmed. But if you have a fake tree, eventually like the Christmas tree bag they come with eventually it rips. And so having a, a tree keeper bag, I get it. This is a good product. Yeah, and, and there solves was, a real pain. What, what's really interesting about the the timing of this, and, and it, the times are different now, but if you go back to 2005 through 2011, before brick and mortar companies had really centralized distribution and where that centralized distribution was, was then also fulfilling direct-to-consumer orders, what would happen is, they would, the box stores would pre-sell these items. So Christmas tree storage bags might be available from, let's say, Halloween until Christmas. But if you go into a box store the day after Christmas, you don't really see Christmas items anymore. You see spring and winter um, type items because the Christmas season is over. However, the Christmas storage season starts the day after Christmas. So there was a a market uh, misalignment. So the box stores didn't have the storage items on the physical shelf when buyers wanted the storage items because they were selling it as a Christmas item pre-Christmas. But when people need it, it's actually after Christmas. 
So the online sales opportunity was really large because you couldn't go in to many physical locations and try to buy a Christmas tree storage bag. So even the big box retailers had mismerchandised it. Correct. It was like the season was off. They, they considered it a Christmas item, which it is, but they didn't realize when the demand for that item was occurring, which was after Christmas. And so how did they find you? They went to the Google machine. <laughs> oh my gosh. What? And so this is still in the, this is what? 15 years ago at this point? Yeah, I mean, this is really when pay-per-click advertising was very, very profitable. I mean, we're talking $1.50, you know, to sell a $100 cart. Oh, like, let's say it again. Yeah, $1. fifty <laughs> to sell a $100 cart. Oh, oh, I'm going to pass out. An absolute, oh my God, I can't believe it. You tell lies. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember those days. It was, even then, you know, you could, it wasn't like shooting fish in a barrel, but man, it was a lot easier to experiment. Yeah. And you still had to know what you're doing, you know, and I learned a lot then. So the way that I developed e-commerce business was really mastering pay-per-click advertising. What do you think has changed between now and then? I think that Google is just one place where people start their purchasing process. It used to be the only place or let's say 90% of the market now people start their purchasing journey, if you will, some on Google, some on YouTube, some on Amazon, some on social. The, the market is split up to where people start their either search process, their research, their, their purchasing journey. So all eyes used to be on Google. And so it was easy. You had a, a bigger pool, a bigger supply of, of eyeballs with Google. And so you could start there and have faith that it, as long as you kept advertising and you had the right keywords, it became inevitable that your buyers would find it. Yes. Whereas now, even if I have the most dialed in PP strategy, PPC strategy on Google, it I'm not necessarily going to cast that same net. Right. That's correct. And the competition is a lot steeper and prices are a lot higher. Significantly. Very. Like several folds. Yes. And so unless you have, I mean, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, even to this day, we do a lot, a significant amount of, of pay-per-click advertising, but today we do all bottom of the funnel where it's the intent is to buy. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to capture someone looking how to do anything. I, I need essentially make brand, make and model. And now I know their intent is to buy something. No researching. I'm not paying to be in front of someone who's researching. They literally need to be Searching, clicking, buying. So we just, we skip the first part. But part of this, what helps is this is a lower, these are, are lower AOV products. The Tree Keeper bag, 40 bucks. And, you know, Christmas lights would have been a lot, you know, unless you're buying. Yeah, the Tree Keeper is actually a $100 item and up. Oh, so my mistake. It's a, yeah, yeah, we do. There are some that are, you know, more gen, generic tree, tree storage bag, you know, that's 30 to $40. Uh, but the flagship models are, you know, hundred to, hundred to two hundred dollars. Okay. So when you're like really serious about this tree, is it rabbit resistant? Yeah. I think that's <laughs> that's critical for me. Um, so we go. Then at some point, you end up on Shark Tank. Yeah, you know, it's just the natural progression of anyone in e-commerce hustling, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's where everyone, they all go. At some point, you get sent, the, the, the sensor in your hand goes off, and you're rounded up and sent to Shark Tank. That's the e-commerce entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. 
everyone thinks if you get on Shark Tank, you're going to be rich. You're going to make it. You're just going to be <laughs> you know, handed like this pile of money. <laughs> I've lost count of the number of people who've been on Shark Tank so I, that I've talked to. And so I know it doesn't work that way. But I also know that your sales spike every time your rerun goes. Yeah. Now, gosh, I think uh, I was at a disadvantage because 2011 was a long time ago. And you had so what was the what were you on Shark Tank with? Certainly not Christmas lights. I had a product called the Eco Mower. I so like I the a, name. I kind of reinvented push the push manual push lawn mower. And called it an Eco Mower. The Eco Mower. The idea, you know, not to get too much into the weeds. The idea was to create no an pun intended. Earth friendly, yeah, <laughs> an Earth friendly lawnmower brand, uh, because I thought that the Eco Mower brand could kind of stand for the whole category of eco-friendly lawnmowers. And I did trademark it, but I didn't want to make an expensive, complicated, you know, piece of machinery. So I started with the push lawnmower in order to get the physical product, get the trademarks. And at the same time, they were pretty popular. You know, there was a sort of a trend. I was going to say, I remember seeing these, like people's front lawns mowing their lawn with a push mower. And this was before really like an um, electric mower's you had to plug them in and like inevitably you'd end up running over the cord. And then the battery ones event like now have reached a point where, all right, yeah, it's, it's almost pretty just good. now battery mowers are just but now. But this was 10 years ago. Decent. Yeah. More 15 years ago. Yeah. 2006 was when I really launched eco mowers. Oh, wow. Um, so think about this. 2004, you just get into what is essentially drop shipping. Maybe not. Yep. I know you were, re- you were reselling, but like you were the one fulfilling. Right. Uh, so you, yeah, you are a reseller, but still. Okay, so you did the work there as a side hustle. Two years later, not only are you like, all right, I got my own product, trademarked it, and now we're going on Shark Tank with it. That is quite quite the uh, the jump forward. <laughs> That's what happens when you keep playing in the sandbox and you don't give up. And you yeah, keep you just keep going at the same thing. Learning and, and, you know, the mower was great because it was a small box. Let's just say it was about... Four shoebox sizes, right? So picture a cube, four shoeboxes. And once you take the handle off, you get it fairly. Yeah, it all packs down. And, you know, these were not the run of the mill push mower. They were $200 to $300 push mowers. So at a 50% margin ish, 40 to 50% margin, again, I'd rather sell a $250 item that's fairly small package with a good margin than you know, than the other items that are out there. So it was a very Our business progression here, we're moving up in AOV. (laughs) Yeah. Like Christmas lights, 15 bucks. Tree keeper bag, 100 bucks. Now our lawnmower, 200. Yeah. All right. And it was was niche, right? It was niche. So that's another thing that, that, uh, you know, became part of the journey was being niche. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15% overnight? Well, you could make a deal with the devil. Can you believe it? All I had to do was give him my soul. <laughs> or you could just use Zipify One Click Upsell, created by the owner of a $100 million e commerce store and trusted by over 8,200 Shopify merchants. One Click Upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross sells. Plus, it's got mobile-optimized offer pages that drive sky-high conversions and built-in split testing for maximizing your results. It's no wonder OneClick Upsell has made its users an extra $162 million in sales. 
and it only takes a few minutes to install the app, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue overnight. To start your free 30-day trial, go to Zipify.com slash Kurt, that's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T, and to get an unadvertised bonus, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. I like it. So yeah, you do, you're right. They are all, they are quite niche. I'd say that... The Christmas tree bag feels like the most niche. But like how many people have faux trees? A lot, right? And yeah. those those bags that they come with, eh, they don't last too long. Um and so what happened with this we you we're talking about this mower in the past tense. <laughs> right. Well, what happened is the trend for these mowers kind of tapered off. So there was there was sort of perfect storm timing and for about 4 to 5 years the the trend for these mowers uh, was they were popular and then the trend faded out and there was a lot uh, more sort of mm, less quality imports coming in and the market just kind of fizzled away. Right. It was, it was what we discussed was like, okay, they, everyone saw this trend happening because a gas mower, like, unless you've got a really big property, they're loud, they smell, you got to maintain the thing. Like who, what average person wants to change spark plugs, right? You're like, I'm right. excited about that, but most people are not. Um, yeah. it's the, the electric is just convenient and quiet. Um, and so the, the market went there as battery technology evolved. And yeah, so and you, knew businesses... to, you were smart enough to know to walk as opposed to like, I'm really going to force this. Because that's another right. tough now, thing is like knowing to be like, all right, uh, this ran its course. I, I learned what I did. We're moving on. Like, how yeah. to, talk me through that. So I would say that you need to be juggling a few balls at the same time. So it's not like I just stopped and then there was a, a resting period and then you start another one. <laughs> when I sort of turned off eco mowers, it was also because I had already started sprinklersupplystore.com. So there's a diversification of risk here. Like we yes. overlap our business properties, but you, you can only take it so far because you have limited time, resources, and attention. Exactly. Okay. So you're like, all right, that's still selling, but the writing's on the wall. So we're going to start spinning up the next thing while that's still going. Yeah. And I, I think I, you know, I, I started the next thing without the other one hadn't started to fizzle yet. You know, okay. you're just diversifying because you're seeing opportunities and you want to capitalize on it. And the opportunity I saw was that I was in the wholesale irrigation industry. And this was I where like suppliers. in 2004, that's where he had started working. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. so this whole time you've been in that industry. Yes. Okay. So yeah, some like whatever industry you're currently in, whatever you're passionate about, who your network is, that becomes your advantage. Yes. Okay. Yep. And I've heard it described, and I describe it as a as a passion mashup. So I would claim, I would say, boldly say, there are few people that know irrigation and e-commerce, those two things as well as I do. <laughs> I would also <laughs> say content creation. Like there's a whole series of skills in your toolbox and on that Venn diagram, you're right. It's like you take all those skills, the network, the industry you're in. And then suddenly, like when you step back and look at it, it becomes so obvious. This man should run a sprinkler supply store. But right. when I first saw it on Twitter as like this tremendous example of copywriting is how I was introduced to sprinkler supply store. Oh, okay. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is shockingly good for something that you would think of as mundane got to be different, right? That's, that's where traditional business sometimes fall behind because they all look like each other. 
Yes. You can't tell the difference between the top five wholesale distributors out there. They're all the same. Same message, same story, same product, same everything. Isn't that strange? If you're like starting a store, people will go, they'll say like, this is what we want. And then they're like, here's just the top people in the space. And so you end up, they become homogenized versus, you know, if I'm approaching a design from a creative standpoint, give me the sites that look the best that are not in my category. And if I borrow individual elements from a series of sites, so great artists, good artists copy, great artists steal. But if I do this from enough sites, enough brands in unrelated categories, the end result will be something entirely unique. Absolutely. You have now crafted a, one way to think of it is a different recipe. Lots of same ingredients, completely different recipe. Your store being the recipe. So uh, Sprinkler Supply Store, this one also on Shopify, currently up, looks good. What uh, What's going on here? Tell me about this business. So we've got... Two parts of Sprinkler Supply Store. One is the obvious, the website, the .com. And one thing to think about with your .com is, as I tend to think of it as a channel, yes, it is what people see. It is where the purchase happens. But what we've really also built is under the hood, what I call the Sprinkler Fulfillment Network. <laughs> I love it. The SFN. <laughs> yep. The real SFN. Right. Because you know, there's, there's Shopify Fulfillment Network. This is Sprinkler <laughs> FN. Yeah. And really, there's no reason to replicate a business that already exists, i.e., why would I take sprinklers and put them under in my warehouse when all of this inventory is already sitting in someone else's warehouse? And so the plan is, so you, rather than you, main, you stock the inventory, which really, like, that is flat out what I feel is one of the most difficult parts about e-commerce is inventory forecasting because it equates to cash flow forecasting. And so if you can have that inventory sit with the distributors and with wholesale with wholesale distributors, uh, with manufacturers, and you can automate that process where you could have a P- you could sync the inventory number one. That's like the critical thing. If you could, and not every industry and every distributor is going to support this. But if you could figure out how to sync the inventory from them to your store with something like Duoplane, shout out to Duoplane, um, then really, like, what's the difference between that and stocking the stuff yourself other than you're not taking on the risk with carrying all this inventory? Yeah. And if they need to make a little margin to do it for you, then let them. They should because the carrying cost of inventory is a lot higher than most people want to think that it is. But Andy, I thought dropshipping was dead. (sighs) Right. That's what we all want you to believe. <laughs> oh, oh, so this is a conspiracy by the successful dropshippers are out there like, hey, dropship is dead. Unless they're trying to sell me a course, in which case I'm suspicious of the whole thing. The, right. I, okay. Um, so, so you kind of nailed a couple points. So I would say that old school dropshipping is dead. What I mean by that is truly old school dropshipping, which is you send an email from your e-commerce platform or your order management system to a distributor. That distributor either fulfills the product or four days later, they email you back and they say, we're out. And you're like, wait, why didn't you tell me this four days ago? Old dropshipping wasn't truly connected inventory, like real-time connected inventory. And that is 
I really feel like with the, the space that we're moving into, if the inventory is real-time connected and your orders are as real-time connected to the fulfillment source as possible, then you have a good dropshipping model because customers want to know, what is the price? Is it available? When am I going to get it? If you can deliver them that, then they'll make a purchase. And then you have to actually fulfill on that promise. And old school dropshipping was never very good at fulfilling on that promise. No. No, I I worked when I got started in e-commerce, I worked for a, a large successful dropshipper. And we would like on the product form, it would say in stock. We had no idea. We just knew which brands were like likely to be in stock. And then if it didn't work out, oh, here's your money back plus a store credit. Like we really had no way to connect it. And because it was quite some time ago. So this idea that dropshipping's dead isn't the case. Dropshipping in like the soggiest lamest way possible is dead sophisticated drop shipping totally works and it's because it's transparent and so one of my predictions for 2022 right like at the end of a year i will always i'll get a few emails for people like hey kurt give us a quote for your your 2022 prediction my 2022 prediction is not technological it is about um my 2022 prediction is that we're gonna have to try harder than ever and it's because because of the pandemic because so many people had to shop online, all consumers, I hate that word consumers, all people who bought online have become more sophisticated. They are more aware. They are familiar, like the average person understands what drop shipping is. And at the same time, so many brands had to get online so quickly that there's more people online, it turns into an arms race. Everybody's gotta get more sophisticated. And so what you're telling me is, hey, this isn't dead. It very much the opposite, it totally works, but the bar has been raised. Table stakes are now more evolved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we're gonna have new, entr new entrants into the e-commerce space. And what I mean by that is the wholesale distributors that are currently, may feel like they're caught in the middle. They may not know where their value add is because their value add is shifting, right? What they thought was value, taking someone's order and either delivering it with a truck or shipping it, has changed because that's all digital now. But what distributors don't realize is they still have significant importance because of the things we just talked about, right? Distributed inventory across lots of locations all over the country. They just have to start diversifying their business by either, number one, partnering with e-commerce companies, or number two, creating their own, right? Distributors need to partner with direct-to-consumer, whether that's B2C or B2B under their own brand or under new brands? In the, the auto parts space, one of the largest distributors is Turn 14 Distribution. And like everybody buys from these guys and everybody who's manufacturers tries to get them to carry their stuff within that space. And they also have their own direct-to-consumer brands. And then on top of that, they niche them down to specific categories. Like AmericanMuscle.com only sells parts for Ford Mustangs. And that's it. And it's like everything you could possibly want. But it's a it is a a wholesale distributor's direct to consumer brand, right? And so it very much describes uh, your situation and what you were telling me. But all right, one of the things I want to inquire to you about because you have so much experience here is in the pre interview you brought up the three legged stool. You said really like all, any successful company today has is a stool. What are the legs of the stool? <laughs> So from my lens, and I don't know where I, where either I heard this, so I may not be able to take credit for this. I just don't remember if I 
where it came from, but I think there's three legs to the stool. Number one, the commerce. Number two, the content. And number three, the community. And if you go back in time, you know, in our DeLorean to 2004, five, it was really just commerce and, and maybe some content. There was no right. community happening at all. And the content and the commerce were completely unique to their own. There really wasn't much affiliate even crossover between those two uh, verticals. There was commerce and there was content and they were separate. And today we're just seeing this complete mashup of all three of those. And what I mean by mashup is we're seeing content creators get into e-commerce. We're seeing e-commerce become content creators. We're seeing e-commerce build communities and we're seeing communities get into commerce. We're seeing all of those three things come really come together. And how does it make you feel? Hmm. I guess a little bit nervous because I, I, I know the, con the commerce content's never been my thing because personally, I don't have the patience to write and wait. I want to sale now. <laughs> but you don't have, you're right. Like SEO content marketing, you have to think, especially when you're trying to get results in terms of e-commerce sales, it's planting a garden. It's, it's like you're the fastest you're going to be harvesting anything is, you know, 60 to 90 days. And really it's more like six yeah. months. Um, but I think if if you can find the thing, you know, the kind of creative, the kind of content that you're good at, like I don't love doing face to camera videos, so I'm not going to be the best at TikTok, but I'm good at extemporaneous speaking and I like talking to people, right? I get lonely. So a podcast works pretty well for me. I can write, but I don't enjoy writing all of the time. All right. So I'm not necessarily going to be doing blog posts. So maybe I outsource that. And I did. Um, I think it's about finding, if you're scared of it, it's about trying different things and finding the one that you like. Like I, what got me into some of it is like, I just, I just wanted, I like gadgets. I wanted to buy a microphone. I wanted to buy a camera. Like that can help get you over the hump and get started with it. Where do you find your success with content creation? The, the things that roll through someone's mind when they make a purchasing decision, I think that they have to know, like, and trust something, someone, some company. So unless a product is the only one in the world that meets a specific need that the, that the consumer has, they'll buy it. Otherwise, given three similar choices, someone will pick something that makes them feel like they know, like, and trust either the person selling it to them, the company, et cetera, that they can believe in. And so what I've started to do really just this year was to try to come out behind, you know, the corporate veil, if you will, of Sprinkler Supply Store and create a face, create brand persona, i.e., which has to just be me. And so I've kind of created this Sprinkler nerd persona. And <laughs> <laughs> no, because there, there's co there's coded language in there, like sprinkler supply nerd immediately implies like it's OK to be into sprinklers, which as a child, I legitimately was into sprinklers. You know, it's kind of an engineering thing. And it, it implies like you're the an authority here without maybe some of like the negative connotation around just yelling, I'm an authority. Yeah. Making fun. We want to make fun of ourselves who are nerds that know lots. Of, we know lots of stuff about stuff that doesn't matter. Really. It's just a sprinkler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but it, you know, if you're in the industry, it matters to somebody. Right. But you can't take it too seriously. It's sprinklers after all. Yeah. And so really I started to think about what gives me a great experience when I'm buying something. I like to watch video. You know, my wife and I debate this because I will now go to YouTube almost first when I'm looking for something because I want someone to tell me about it. I want to see it. I'm visual. Show me, tell me, let me see it. And I think that that's really what, what we need to do in commerce more is, you know, and have it be kind of real and believable. So I think the days of like taking a product on a white background and spinning it 360, it's like, no, I want to see it in some dude's hand. I want someone to like show walk it me to through me. it. Walk Shit, me through give it. Give me the guy who built it and have him walk me through why it matters. Right. Exactly. And so I've just started to do that. And it's been uh, fun, embarrassing, and I would say just getting started. So really content creation this year has been building this setup. And then I will take returns come here to my warehouse. So I am in a room in my warehouse, but I have a distributed fulfillment network that fulfills product to the customer. But we take all the returns here. So we get to see everything that comes back. And what I've been doing is every time we get a product back, I make a video of it because I have it in my hands. It's a good, oh, good I like so part sandbox. of your returns process is you're like, okay, I, here's an opportunity. I need to go do an unboxing video, a walkthrough video, whatever it is. Yeah, I'll just take the take the item and you know, and I'll hold it up to the camera here, give you a close up of it, talk about it, what I like about it, what I don't like about it, just not in crazy detail, just enough to give someone a quick show and tell. And so and you've got nice videos and you've got a nice setup. How did you I how did you get familiar and comfortable with that kind of content creation? You just have to start. Like we were talking about that earlier. There is no yeah, number one. It. There's no getting comfortable. You're right. Um I there's a book I recommend, How to Shoot Video That Doesn't Suck. It's it's a great title, but it's a really great crash course in like getting comfortable with everything involved in video. It's very quick. That was the one where I'm like, okay, I could do this. Um that helped me a lot. But otherwise, it's really just like, just start. You know, everyone's got an iPhone or a smartphone, and they all have really good cameras, and you can yeah. edit on them. So it's it's hard to have an excuse not to. Yeah. And what I could what I would tell people that, that want to do video and are nervous, uncomfortable, afraid is what you just said, start. But to if you change your perspective, instead of aiming for perfection, you aim for unperfection. Because unperfection to me is actually more believable it's than authentic. perfection. Authentic. So what you really want to do is just be your true authentic self. And if you screw up what you're saying, that's okay. Just say it on the camera. Oh, I guess I said that wrong. Whoops. And just keep going, right? Try to go for the, really the one take. Don't edit it. Just the one take. The, you're right. It adds authenticity to it. Believability. Like even when I look for videos, especially like I, I watch a lot of tutorial videos and maybe it's like, here's a tutorial. I just watched the last one I watched was like, here's a tutorial on um, changing out a brake caliper on a 1984 Ford Bronco. Very exciting stuff. If you're me, it is exciting. But I always I, I joke with my wife. I said, I look for the guy who's like obviously in his driveway, has like a big, crazy beard and no sleeves because that's the guy who's going to be most like me in my setup in my garage. Like, that's what I want. That's the one I'm going to believe. Like, I want to see this dude struggle a little bit. <laughs> right. And then, like, okay, that's the video. I'll just follow along. Mm -hmm. um, so you've been doing this. You you already hit, Sprinkler Supply Store was already successful. 
And then you really focused on content starting about a year ago, right? Yeah. And we're and what I want to do is make sure Sprinkler Supply Store is always, I want to make it future successful. So what I see happening today, right, is there's going to be the traditional distributors, right? The wholesale market will start to sell online. They're really just getting started today. But if there's more competition online, then what will separate someone, right? Someone who's building more of a brand, focusing on content, focusing on community, doing what doing what's coming next now and differently. Really is and this trying is to when just, you say doing what's coming next, I like that you're like, you gotta do what's coming next. And it's it's content and community, not NFTs and crypto. Right. <laughs> and so after a year of this, how is what have you seen an impact from this level of content creation? So I think there's a couple ways to measure impact. What I try to do is hear from, what I want to do is hear from customers. So I um, always checking in with our customer service manager and that is sort of my radar. Has anyone mentioned these videos? And they do, right? So they'll say, hey, I watched this video, you know, and they'll they'll call in or their email. So that's really the the best sort of, uh, the, the best way for me to take the temperature is, is that direct feedback. Um, a lot of our videos we've made past our season. So the, you know, the irrigation and landscape industry has a season. It's essentially April through the end of August, right? Where, where the, where people go looking for this, especially in the spring when they turn on their irrigation systems, um, and the market kicks off. So, uh, you know, that, that's really the indicator. And I can say that today we've been doing very, very niche items where it is product specific, model number specific, not top of funnel, how to replace your sprinkler. Haven't done those yet. And those are the high traffic, high volume. Yeah, the, the necess- tutorial video. Yeah, tutorial where they're not necessarily looking to buy either. That's where we have to pixel them, stay in front of them, maybe have them opt into a guide that we haven't created yet, right? That's coming next, a guide to XYZ to just get them into our ecosystem so that when they're ready to buy, we're still in front of them. Where today we only get in front of people that their intent is to buy, you know, today or tomorrow. This episode was brought to you by the team at Rewind, a trusted Shopify app since 2015. If you're a Shopify partner, join leading agencies like The Taproom, Milk Bottle Labs, BVA, and more in the Rewind Agency Partner Program. You can earn up to $1,000 for recommending Rewind to your clients, And you could rest easy knowing that the hard work you've done for your clients is protected. If you're a merchant, feel confident and enjoy peace of mind that your store's always safe with automated backups. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Learn more by looking up Rewind in the Shopify app store or visit rewind.com. Mention the unofficial Shopify podcast and you'll get your first month free. That's rewind.com. Content-wise... It really, it seems like you're leaving a lot on the table here. You, I think there's a lot of opportunity here. I wouldn't, I certainly, I would not undervalue the, um, that, that top of funnel stuff, your, your tofu efforts. Yep. No, that's exactly right. That's what's, that's, what's coming next. So we're moving up the funnel, if you will. But starting at the bottom, I think that's, um, there was also wisdom there. And so the, the third leg of the stool is community. How does one build a community around (laughs) sprinkler supplies? (laughs) Very slowly. <laughs> I, th- like, so, commu- I think you're right. You know, the, the, there's a, a few episodes recently where you hear that discussion of community and its importance. Um, certainly with the One Bone, the, the Big and Tall t-shirt brand that I loved, community was a big part of that, user-generated content. And I uh, 100% agree. It's just, it's a hard thing to do to build a community. Talk me through it. 
I, the way I look at community and the content right now is I'm not looking to monetize it, right? So if I, because I'm not looking to monetize it, I want to do it because I enjoy it. Really, that's why, because I enjoy it. <laughs> and, you, and people, we like to do things that we enjoy that are fun to do. If, if I can monetize it later, absolutely. So with the community, what I'm doing is using my podcast and then using the connections that I've built over the last 20 years in the industry, the people that I know, the companies that I know, the manufacturers, to, uh, to create content and then ask for people to join in the community and then just facilitate, really, is really the, the point of the community is to get people talking, uh, to get them sharing, to get them adding value to the, to the community, not really consuming from me. I have been in communities where it is sort of just like, you know, the person who started the community, they just dump ideas and strategies and you're just consuming, consuming. And really what I want to do is build a place where the members of the community build and run the community, not me. I'm just the one facilitating it. Yeah. I think the, the trick to make community work is, well, to your point, number one, you have to enjoy it. Like you authentically are into this. And so you enjoy the community. And I think that's critical. Um, you, know, you probably, I'm sure some people could fake it. It's going to make life a lot harder. And then you're not actively trying to sell to them. And you're not, uh, it's not like one to many. It's more just a, a genuine collaborative effort. It's not just like you only post and then people could comment on that. Correct. Yeah. And really the community is a longer term opportunity because the community that I'm building is really for professionals, not just sprinkler professionals, lawn care professionals, maintenance professionals, landscape installers. Anyone that has a business in the landscape industry is welcome to join the community. But that is not really my target market today because we sell more direct to consumer looking to replace sprinklers, add-ons and such. So really I'm building the community for the future of the business. And how does one get into this community? Like I'm on sprinklersupplystore.com and you link to, you know, podcast, um, learn. So you do have some, some good, uh, SEO tutorial content, like how to turn on a sprinkler system, but I don't see where the community lives. Yeah. Like I, I, because I, the community is for the future, the community is for the, the, uh, business professional. It is sort of the, um, the next stage of the business that doesn't exist right now. So we currently, I currently invite them in through the podcast uh, and from knowing another uh, professional. And where does the community live? It lives on Facebook. So I oh, call it Facebook groups because I don't want to call it a group because it's not a group. It's, I really want it to be a community. Yeah. And you know, I'm in a lot of Facebook groups and the quality varies wildly. And I think that's a matter of like setting tone, setting expectations, um, and being really like being ruthless about the rules. Like if you're spamming, you got to go. Um, and I think the, the other part of it is tone. Tone is huge, and, huge. And I don't know how you control that. Like I, I'm very proud of the tone we have in our Facebook group. I'm in other Facebook groups and like, that's, for me, that's what makes or breaks it. Obviously, mm -hmm. if there's like a bunch of spam and garbage, just leave. But if the tone, like you, in the comments, people are are nasty, then uh, I'm out as well. And I yeah. don't know how you control that. No, I 100% agree. And the same thing exists in the, there's a, there's a large irrigation group. 
And I would say it's not the, what you might call the helping friendly group. And really I want to create the helping friendly group. And so you'll see people post a picture, let's say of their own install. And you know what they'll put in the comments? They'll say, okay, who wants to roast me? Because they know it's coming for them. <laughs> no. So that, that's all part of building a community. A community is there to help one another. And that's all about the tone. And so you just have to set the tone, go in there with the tone, create the tone. Um, and if there's no moderators or good administrators of a group, the tone will probably go to the lowest common tone denominator naturally. I, if no one is raising it, it'll just go down. That's been my experience is, yeah, you you set the tone and then and people follow suit. But yeah, you can't you have to be pretty have to have low tolerance for um, negativity and shenanigans. Yeah. And certainly if it's like harassment or spam, you just automatic you're out. Yeah. So audience versus product. Tell me because that's what it's like. If someone's listening to this and they're still at the beginning of their journey, where do they spend their time? Do they go like, I, all right, let's go start a podcast about this. Let's start a community. They have an audience then. They they have authority. They don't necessarily have a thing they're selling versus, yeah. okay, do I focus my efforts on, I've got the store, people could purchase from it. You know, like I wake up and I've got money, right? That that experience, but you have to have someone to sell to. All right, so where, which comes, it's like a chicken and egg problem. So where would you, how do you think about it? Yeah, it it's an interesting question because I do think that there are, Let's see, going back to the beginning, you know, of my journey, it was e-commerce was, let's say, potentially less expensive to get into than it is now to get eyeballs, right? To get visitors. So if you want traffic and conversions, buying traffic years ago was easier. You could get in for less money. Today, traffic costs more money. So if you have money, great, you can buy traffic. If you don't have money, you need to, what you said earlier, plant some seeds, grow the garden of traffic. But if you have a warehouse full of products, you may not be able to sustain waiting for those seeds to grow. And so if you can get started with content and an audience, then you could potentially put something in front of that audience that they might want to buy. The audience is, is the valuable thing. They're like the audience is, is the value of the business, especially in those, those first stages. If you have that, I really think your life becomes much easier, especially since you can talk to your audience and get a, a better sense of it, it'll make you a better marketer, right? Like my my big advice for people who want to improve customer experience on a website, pick up the phone and talk to the people yeah. buying from you. And this is the the logical extension of that idea. Yeah. So audience trumps product. I, community, really. Community and content. Very important. Yeah, I think very important uh, legs of the stool. I, I think so, absolutely. And you know, you can you can have a side hustle with content. There are plenty that make lots and lots of money with content sites that sell courses that, that drive affiliates, right, to Amazon and other. And I actually think that is a really good place to start. So oftentimes, someone will ask me, "Man, I really want to get into e-commerce. I need to think of a product." And I'm thinking to myself this guy doesn't even really know how to buy a domain name, let alone throw up a store, let alone knows nothing. You know, the best place to get started is to just go build a WordPress site and learn how the web works, create some content, write about something, just get in the, get in the sandbox and start playing around. It's not going to cost you really anything, right? You can have a WordPress site basically for free. I agree. 
wholeheartedly with that. Except obviously it should be a Shopify store. Yes. Jeez. I think you mispronounced Shopify. It's strange. It sounded well, that would like actually be interesting. I wonder if there's any content-only Shopify sites, right? Before they're ready to have a product, is there anyone that just has a blog on Shopify? Uh, my West website, WWDW, is, is primarily content-driven. Yeah. So the next, yeah. you know, keeping on this theme, what we might see are those content sites today that direct their visitor over to Amazon to purchase you know, said product that they recommended, they could be poised to be their own product brands or their own e-commerce sites. And that might be, you know, one place that we potentially see Shopify invest in is how do we get content creators to open their own store? And or do larger e-commerce companies start buying content sites and directing the traffic to their own store? I started to see this in 2021. I can think of a, a client brand that is content focused that got purchased by a larger e-commerce store, e-commerce brand, really for the purpose of like, this is now our content production. Yeah. But I think we'll see more of that, certainly. Because you're right. It's like you, you need those those three pieces to really, it really makes life much easier, um, especially with just, with PPC traffic costs becoming more and more expensive. Andy, where can we find more about you? Where can we learn more about Andy Humphrey? <laughs> you can learn more about me on andyhumphrey.com. Of course, sprinklersupplystore.com and the Sprinkler Nerd podcast. LinkedIn's good for those of you in the corporate world. If you have any wholesale distributors listening to this, would love to talk wholesale distribution and e-commerce and all those opportunities that are that are right here in front of us. They just have to be taken advantage of. It sounds like the best way to get a hold of this gentleman, check out andyhumphrey.com. And I have included those links in the show notes. Andy, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fantastic. My pleasure. Happy to be here with you. Tech nasty. Tech nasty. Privy is the fastest way to grow sales with email and SMS. You can build your list, save abandoned carts, send money making emails and texts, and more, all in one place. Plus, you'll get coaching and support from e-commerce experts no matter where you start. Privy is the number one rated sales app on Shopify and has helped merchants deliver over 7 billion in online sales. Join the thousands of merchants growing with Privy by signing up for a free 15-day trial today. Just head over to privy.com slash unofficial Shopify to get started. That's P-R-I-V-Y dot com slash unofficial Shopify. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. So please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at ethercycle.com. Thanks for listening.